0: The topic for this afternoon is deep bite correction and the Invisalign G5 innovation. So, we saw some great open bite, uh, open bite cases this morning in the in the case shootout. It's kind of surprised there wasn't a deep bite in in the in at least one of the. Um, I mean, I think there was only one open bite category, but we saw three open bites. So that I mean, they are all great cases. Um, so you're going to get a lot more deep bite today, and then tomorrow, uh, Clark Coville and Sam Dare are going to uh, tag team uh, and and. Uh, talk about uh, DeepBite as well. So, just to get a couple of housekeeping things out of the way, um, my affiliations, I am paid uh, per lecture by line Speakers Bureau. I have a consulting contract with the Clinical Advisory Board. I'm a Smile Assist consultant. Uh, But these are the people I'm really working for. My daughter, Leah, who's 12, uh, Patrick, the troublemaker, who's seven, and Vince, who's nine. And this is what they look like the first day of school. This is a more typical uh, presentation for them. Uh, And then if it's it's raining outside, when I uh, remodeled a house uh, that I moved into 18 months ago, I put a climbing wall in, a regulation basketball goal, so you can catch us up there uh, climbing on the wall or or, uh, shooting, playing a game of horse or pig uh, when it's raining. Uh, I I, I will tell you that the opinions expressed in this presentation are just that, uh, my opinions based on my experience using the Invisalign system. I would caution you that if you employ these techniques on a consistent basis, that you may experience the same success or failure as the presenter. Moving right along. Okay, our objectives for this afternoon. I'm gonna do an overview of the G5 innovations, uh, specifically the DeepBite uh, correction. Uh, of course, G5 also included ClinCheck Pro. Uh, we'll show some case examples, and sprinkled throughout those case examples are tips, techniques, and some takeaways for you. There should be a handout at the back of the room. Um, you know, normally, I've done those handouts where you just sort of print all your slides out, and those aren't very useful. This actually uh, was a distillation of this into one page of what I think are some helpful tips. So just to give you a little historical perspective, so I, started, I got Invisalign certified in 2000. Um, I cold started a practice in 98, had a lot of time on my hands, uh, you know, those first few years, not many patients are coming in. Had a lot of time to think about Invisalign. And one of the areas where I, in early, my early Invisalign career from 2000 to 2005, that I really fell down and felt like I, I was not having a lot of success was with deep bite patients like this. Uh, I just really had a hard time opening the bites. Um, in a, you know, I saw it in 2004, Dave Paquette actually showed at the summit some... Uh, uh, bite ramps uh, that he used in, in a patient, and when I talked with him yesterday, he said that actually the first time he started using was two thousand two. I learned about them from him in two thousand four, and started really started using them at the end of 04, 05. So from like oh five on, they're bite ramps in virtually every deep bite and normal overbite patient clin check that I developed. Uh, about the only place I don't use them is open bites. Because of patients like this where, you know, I used 39 aligners and I got him to here. And that's, you know, not very much change. And then I actually did use bite ramps in his refinement. But because I was new with him, I didn't understand that this patient was biting behind the bite ramps. Because you were limited to about a millimeter and a half uh, for the conventional or what were called virtual bite ramps back then. With the new precision bite ramps, you can, you, because they're much thicker, it would have worked on him. And I could have gotten that bite open much better. What is the rationale for treating Invisalign uh, deep bite patients? Uh, it allows you to start leveling the lower arch much sooner than, than I could with braces. Um, I'm thinking of the, uh, the severe deep bite patient who may have a lot of attrition, maybe doesn't even have any facial enamel on the lower incisors. How are you going to bond a bracket to dentin in somebody with 110% overbite and keep the brackets on. I mean, it, 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 that is a very challenging, and usually those patients, the lower arch is more crowded, there's a bit more curve of speed, so that's really the arch you wanna get on as early as you can. And also occlusal coverage protects the, the teeth against tooth wear. And I can remember a couple of braces patients that were sort of anterior edge-to-edge bruxers, and you know, by the time I got them through their braces, they had lost another millimeter or two of enamel uh, from, from clenching and bruxing. There are some challenges uh, with using Invisalign for deep bites. The occlusal coverage causes transient posterior intrusion. This is great when you're treating an open bite, and we saw that this morning, and you can even enhance it, and I'll show you a slide on that. Uh, but when that happens, <coughs> excuse me, in the deep bite patient, the mandible auto rotates, so it goes forward and up. Overbite increases and overjet decreases. And if you're used to setting your clinchecks to ideal overjet and overbite, and you get this little ghost in the machine that now, you know, the transient posterior uh, open or intrusion that causes your mandible to auto rotate forward and up a little bit. You may find it yourselves with posterior open bites. You may find yourself with heavy occlusal or heavy anterior contacts, and not really understand why that happened to you. So let's say you're trying to close upper spaces and you get a little mandibular auto rotation. You've set the clincheck to two millimeters of overjet. Now you've got 1.3 and you've got this heavy occlusion. Your spaces won't close. So there, there are a lot of things that this transient posterior intrusion can cause. And I see them, you know, I see it get explained in different ways, but uh, you know, that's really the underlying thing. It's a transient posterior intrusion that introduces some vertical change that then causes some AP change. And your real world uh, doesn't match clincheck. So what are methods to decrease overbite? Well, we've got relative posterior extrusion, we've got absolute anterior intrusion, and we've got absolute posterior extrusion, and of course we can combine these as well. How do you decide which is best? Uh, do you let your treat or your ClinCheck uh, technician uh, decide? No, we're gonna evaluate facial aesthetics, determine if our upper and lower incisor exposure uh, is adequate or excessive, look at the face height, look at the curve of speed, and then optimize your strategy based on this information. You may have two things that are uh, at odds with each other and you can't, you can't have them both. So you know, this is a patient where you look at their uh, facial aesthetics, you know, this, even though they have an excessive gingival display, the smile arc is harmonious. So if you intrude to reduce the uh, gingival display, you're gonna mess up the smile arc. And you know, really deep bite, and you look at the curve of speed, you can see definitely you know, super erupted lower uh, three to three. And then you look at her uh, profile, she's high angle, Look at the Ceph, that confirms it. So a very, you know, a very different treatment plan for somebody like this. You would not want to do, you know, relative extrusion of the premolars on somebody like this. And I would probably choose mostly lower uh, incisor intrusion on a case like this. Contrast that with this type of patient who doesn't have, you know, much uh, or doesn't have excessive uh, incisor or gingival display. This is a teenager, uh, but you see a lot of lower tooth in that smile. And then when you look at the lower curve of Spee, you can see there's super there but then you look at her profile, she's very low angle, very short lower third. so this is the the patient you ideally would like to do relative extrusion of the premolars and intrusion of the incisors. So I've got a couple slides that are gonna demonstrate to you this transient posterior intrusion, because I know sometimes it's a little hard to get your brain wrapped around it. There's nothing in the treat software or ClinCheck that that, uh, accounts for this, Uh, but it is a very real world phenomenon, and so this patient, was an open bite I was trying to close. And at, at stage 22, the ClinCheck predicts that she'll have still a millimeter or so of anterior open bite. But if you look at her clinically, she's actually got positive overjet there. Not only does she have positive overjet, but because the, the mandible, I'm sorry, positive overbite, because the mandible auto-rotated forward, she's got heavy occlusal, heavy anterior contacts. So if I'm trying to extrude that incisor, I'm gonna have a hard time if she's you know, really crashing into the lower teeth. So here's another, you know, another failed uh, deep-bite patient. Uh, again, in 2002, I had 49 aligners. It was one of those uh, epic distalization cases that many of us, us used to try. Really didn't get it open, uh, tried a refinement. You know, so for my 59 aligners, you know, that's the amount of bite opening I got. And so it was right around 2005 where I started using the bite ramps really on every, not only deep bite patient, but normal overbites. Why would you use them on normal overbites? To prevent that transient posterior intrusion. And I hear a lot of people, you know, I've lectured a lot all over the, uh, the world. And, you know, people always ask me about posterior open bite. And, you know, I'm like, well, don't let it happen in the first place. And, and bite ramps in normal overbite patients is a good way to prevent that from happening. And you can actually, you can use that transient posterior intrusion to your advantage. So this is, this is the only open bite, two slides that I'm going to show you in this deep bite lecture. But um, this is, you know, the initial clin check, and uh, it's a very complicated case. I'm using some uh, elastics to help extrude the canines, but I placed posterior occlusal attachments upper 4 to 7 and that is to increase or enhance that transient posterior intrusion that we see by using the occlusal attachments as a posterior bite block and so at aligner 14 she's supposed to have that much anterior open bite but she's closed down to here and part of it is because of the occlusal uh, attachments increasing that transient posterior intrusion and that's kind of what they look like when you put them you, know, you put them upper and lower and so a lot of the open bite patients uh that i saw that i've seen today i think would have, would benefit from uh, using the occlusal bite ramps and that's another little trick that you can place in the in your in your toolbox uh so conventional or virtual bite ramps this is what we had prior to g5 now the g5 bite ramps didn't or uh, precision bite ramps didn't come out till february so I'm gonna show you a lot of cases treated with conventional byte ramps because I haven't finished uh, a ton of cases in the last uh, you know, basically nine months uh, that, that I can show you. So we'll show you what the virtual byte ramps are. The principles are exactly the same. The new ones just function better. Uh, so the conventional or virtual byte ramps are what I used from basically from 05 or 04 to G5 launch. Um, they're lingually placed upper two to two. Typically, they're you know 1.25 to 1.5 millimeters thick. They're horizontal rectangular or horizontal beveled attachments. Either will work. And you would place them at the level you want the lower incisors to finish, or if you're somebody who likes to overcorrect things, you can place them one millimeter more incisal. They're not bonded to the teeth. They're not bonded to the teeth. They are not bonded to the teeth. Someone's going to come up to me at the cocktail party tonight and ask me what kind of composite I use to place the, the precision or virtual bite ramps. So we want a bubble in the aligner and we want the patient to be able to take the aligner out and then chew and eat normally with their posterior teeth and occlusion. Uh, if you have a larger overjet, you can orient them vertically. Uh, so the new precision bite ramps have taken that into account. They, they vary in thickness lingually, but if you're using a conventional bite ramp and you, you have a patient with a larger overjet, you can orient them vertically and I'll show you a, a picture on that. So here's a patient with that's wearing class II elastics, has bite ramps and you can see that the posterior teeth are discluded. So you don't have to worry about this patient getting transient posterior intrusion. There is no force on the posterior teeth. But you probably are getting a little extra force to help you with incisor intrusion, so that's probably a good thing in in this. Uh, ClinCheck and the TREAT software sees it as a collision. So uh, in, we know that in the virtual world, you know, two objects can occupy the same space at the same time, uh, so that's what's happening. The, the lower incisor is actually colliding and, and occupying the same space as the incisor. The TREAT software doesn't know how to you know, uh, open, the, or open the, the mandibular plane angle to account for that, so ClinCheck just sees it as a collision. So there is no virtual articulator in the TREAT software. Um, so clinically, it discludes the posterior teeth, and that can prevent transient posterior intrusion. So if you're having problems with develop, patients developing posterior open bite in your normal overbite patients, I would, you know, I would just start adding uh, bite ramps to those patients. And, if you, and I'll show you a way to do it. If you have some at home that have 15 aligners left, um, you, can, you can add them to the current sets with a, a thermoforming plier. So this is what ClinCheck sees, this is what the real world, uh, what happens in the real world, the posterior teeth are discluded. And that's, that can be very helpful if you're trying to jump across a posterior crossbite to have the teeth discluded. Um, Again, if you had a larger overjet, you would orient them vertically because of the slope of the lingual surface of the uh, upper incisors. The patient with a larger overjet would pick those attachments up. Now with the new precision bite ramps, they're going to be more gingival and they're going to be, you know, up to three millimeters thick. So you can really, you can really pick up a six, almost seven millimeter overjet patient. will still contact these depending on the angle of the upper incisors. So again, these came out uh, the, in February of 2014. So um, you know, the features that are uh, involved with the deep bite solution are: um, we've got pressure areas, we've got some new optimized attachments for premolars, and we have some uh, precision bite ramps. So all these things together—the pressure areas, the deep bite, the optimized deep bite attachments, and and the uh, precision bite ramps—are designed to help level the curve of speed um, improve the control of the anterior intrusion and premolar extrusion, so let 's go through each one individually. so um, according to John Morton, who uh, was integral in developing these, when you try to intrude an incisor by placing force right at the incisal edge, what you get is not a true uh, moment through the long a- or true intrusive force through the long axis of the tooth, you actually get a slight moment that is introducing lingual root torque, so they determined that by putting a pressure area on the lingual surface, it got rid of that, that moment and you just got a, a resultant force that was directly through the long axis of the tooth. I take John's word for this, uh, mostly because I don't care to disprove it because they work and um, you know, I've, got, I've got lots of other problems that I've, I need to solve. So we'll, we'll take John at his word that that, uh, that is true. Um, so we also have uh, some, atta- some optimized attachments for the premolars that are designed to, pr- to do two things. One, to provide anchorage for your anterior intrusion, and two, if you need an extrusive uh, force on the premolars, they also accomplish that, and they do that primarily uh, by this uh, beveled surface right here that the aligner can interact with. Now, I will tell you that if you have a rotation or tip that you need to introduce on one of the lower premolars, then I would not use this attachment. I would, I would change to something, whatever you normally use for rotations or tip is, is what you should use, because these, there's nothing about the design of this attachment that will assist with rotation or tip, uh, and if that's the more important movement, that's gonna give you plenty of retention. I mean, if you put a long vertical beveled attachment to help you with the rotation, that's gonna be more than enough retention to assist with the intrusion. So that, that would be my one uh, caveat with using the optimized uh, premolar attachments. You know, they're, they're nice sometimes when you've got that really tight buccal occlusion where a horizontal bevel attachment won't fit very well without you putting it all the way down at the gingival margin. Uh, so I do, I do like them for that. And then with the precision bite ramps, again, the problem we're trying to overcome is occlusal forces on the posterior teeth that uh, lead to some transient posterior intrusion. So by discluding the posterior teeth, it eliminates those forces. And then here's kind of a close-up of the, the bite ramps on an aligner. And again, the precision bite ramps are available for upper incisors, not filled with composite. And they're automatically customized for each patient and each aligner stage. So, you're going to, when you look at a ClinCheck, check, and I'll show one in a second, you're going to see the moving uh, incisor gingivally, changing shape, facial lingually, sometimes changing shape, mesiodistally. And the depth of the bite ramps are up to three millimeters to accommodate uh, large overjets. Um, for those of you snapping pictures, and this is gonna be archived in a couple of weeks on the, the Invisalign website, so you'll have access to all these slides. You can listen to it, uh, make your associate or partner listen to it if you uh, need to go back to it. So the bite ramp position's again automatically adjusted in order to maintain contact. So here's a check I just grabbed before I left for Vegas. Um, the lateral doesn't get one until the tooth's rotated enough where it can be accommodated. So you'll see them, you know, come in and out. Now, these, these can be quite large, so you, know, you, you need to tell the patients uh, that they, their speech might be disrupted for a day or two, or if you're worried about that you know, speech disruption, you can switch back to a, a conventional or virtual bite ramp. Okay, so how do you get these features? So there's a new section in the online prescription form where uh, you're asked about how you wanna handle the overbite, And so, if you uh, check these sections, it brings up some other sub-windows. So, if you ask for, let's use some examples. Uh, If you were to ask for overbite correction by intruding upper and lower anterior teeth, then you would get uh, pressure areas, uh, which is just kind of a, a, you know, like a, a, a dimple or pressure area in the lingual surface. You'd get that on the upper and lower incisors and the lower canines. Uh, John and his team determined that they're not necessary for upper canines to uh, to intrude Um, and then you would also get up one or uh, you would get at least one optimized uh, premolar attachment for retention possibly two if there was uh, if there was movement now if you ask for just lower only um, or I'm sorry if you ask for intrude anterior teeth and extrude premolars in the lower you're going to get both uh, attachments again to support the extrusion and then uh, you'll see uh, pressure areas just on the incisors okay and then the next section is you can request bite ramps and you can ask for them on uh, the upper central and lateral incisors you can pick one or the other both um, or you can pick the canines. Now you'll get precision bite ramps on the centrals and laterals. If you ask for them on the canines, you're going to get a more of a conventional bite ramp. It will show up as blue in the ClinCheck, but it's not. It's not dynamic, uh, and it's not automatically placed by the software like the uh, precision bite ramps. Oh, one other point with that is, if you're uh, if you're If you have uh, intrusion on the upper that you've requested and you ask for bite ramps, you're not gonna get pressure areas because obviously those two things are in the same location. But if you did want uh, pressure areas for the upper, uh, then you can request uh, the conventional bite ramps on the canines. I personally think I'd probably rather have the, the, I'd probably rather go without the pressure areas on the incisors and I'd take the bite ramps on the incisors. That's what they'll look like on the canines. So they're basically a horizontal rectangular or beveled attachment that is now blue instead of red. So when you're intruding lower incisors, again, you'll get pressure areas on lower aligners. You can request precision bite ramps for the upper incisors. um, And if you want the pressure areas on the upper incisors when you're doing upper incisor intrusion, then you can request uh, conventional bite ramps on the canines. Another time you would use uh, prefer canine bite ramps instead of incisors if you're doing a, a mutilated dentition case where you're intruding the incisors and you know that as soon as you start the intrusion they're going to be out of contact so the the uh, bite ramps on the incisors won't be functional then you're really your only choice there is to use them on the canines What does bite ramps do they eliminate transient posterior intrusion they disclude the posterior teeth to aid in cross bite correction they add an intrusive force uh, to the incisors and this is a theory of mine. I haven't been able to prove this mostly because I don't care to digitize and trace 500 cephs. Uh, but they may cause a slight clockwise rotation of the lower occlusal plane. What are differences between virtual bite ramps and precision bite ramps? Precision, the, the precision bite ramp location and facial lingual dimension changes dy- dynamically to accommodate the patient's decreasing overbite and overjet. So they, they're going to move. Uh, they're able to accommodate larger overjets because of this, and still contact the lower incisors. And virtual bite ramps or conventional bite ramps are still available via written requ- request in your special instructions. My thoughts on on G5: I think it's great that the precision bite ramps are dynamic, and that we can have some that are up to three millimeters wide. Because when you're trying to correct a, a you know a moderate uh, class two that also has deep bite, it's nice to get uh, the the bite ramp in contact with the lower incisors early in the treatment. But I will tell you, you know, a lot of times when a new change comes out, people kind of swallow it whole and just take it you know, all or none. And you don't have to do that with this uh, G5 innovation. If you feel like that the uh, optimized deep-bite attachments on the premolars if you judge that you think you need more retention than that small attachment will give you, or you need to address rotations or tip, just change the attachment from the optimized to either whatever, you know if, something to help you with tip or rotation or a traditional horizontal beveled attachment if you think you're going to need more uh, retention. Where would you need more retention? Kids, short clinical crowns, you know that, that might be more helpful to have a larger attachment. Okay, so I'm going to sh- run through a, a whole series of, of deep bite patients, and again, because you know these cases were treated between you know 2009 and you know February of 2014, I'm not going to show you clin with the new uh, precision bite ramps. Principles are the same. You know, if anything, the the, the new ones should work better. Okay, so this is Ashton, and I used the teen product on her because she just was under the uh, she was 19 at the time, so we were able to use teen, and I wanted to try out when this teen product, uh, the teen product back in January of 2009 had only um, one power ridge that that was on the labial of the upper incisors. They hadn't developed the lingual one yet, and they hadn't developed the lower ones yet, but I wanted to try it on her because she needed so much lingual root torque. Um, This designation of angle classification doesn't exist, but if I were going to create one for her, I would call her an angle uh, class 1 division 2 because she's basically class 1 buckle segments but has those retroclined incisors like a div 2 patient, so... Maybe when Prof puts out the 7th edition of Contemporary Orthodontics, I can get that in there. Uh, But, you know, severe deep bite, uh, you know, super erupted uh, incisors. So if I'd tried that in 2005, I think I would have failed miserably. You can see that her lower incisors are biting kind of right at the level of the CEJ, of the upper. Uh, So her problem list, uh, severe deep bite, super erupted, lower 3 to 3, retroclined incisors, moderate crowding. So here's her ClinCheck with the teen product. She does have uh, virtual bite ramps, which we'll be able to see in the occlusal views when I show those. So here she's got some virtual bite ramps. So, you know, significant change in the torque of the upper incisors. Again, this is before the uh, paired power ridges. We had just the ones on the labial surface uh, now. But, you know, again, my thoughts on, on root torque has, have always been if you maintain good interface with the, from the aligner to the tooth and you do it slow enough, you, you can achieve uh, significant uh, lingual root torque. Here's the lower as well. Again, pre, that was treated prior to the lower power ridges. Sometimes with a lower power ridge, I don't want them because one of the things they do in a patient that has a very tight lower lip is they deflect the aligner away from the, the, the cervical part of the tooth, and that, uh, that edge of the aligner can really uh, irritate their lower lip. So again, if I know I can do this just by doing it slowly, then I, I'm not as reliant on uh, a power ridge that may cause another problem, uh, by, you know, solve one, but cause another uh, patient management problem. So here she is, initial, and here we are at refinement, or the end of her initial aligners. So you can see uh, we've got a little bit more leveling uh, that needs to happen in the lower. But we're, you know, we're starting to uh, open the bite up. We've gotten some good changes in the incisor uh, torque. Um, we've taken this molar and brought it into the arch to correct her. She had a crossbite at the upper left seven that was not on my problem list. And so here she is. So the bite is starting to open up nicely. Again, we haven't gotten any transient posterior intrusion that's fighting our overbite correction, so that's very helpful. So here's her refinement, which was 10 active upper and lower aligners, and then three over aligners for the rotation on the lower right too. Today, I don't, I don't stage things like that. I hardly ever use overcorrection unless it's for um, uh, virtual C-chain. Now with ClinCheck Pro, it's so easy for me to build overtreatment of rotations into my final ClinCheck setup, so if you look at my, any of my setups in the last year or so, my basically at the end my teeth are crooked in the wrong direction or crooked in the other direction because uh, I, I do tend to over-treat uh, in, especially lateral incisor rotations um, in out on uh, you know palatally displaced uh, laterals um, Expansion and, and constriction for cross bite correction. I over-treat all of that and when over-treat I mean build into the regular series of aligners uh, that not at the end So here's the refinement and you know, that's kind of what I want to see is I want shorter, you know, I, it, it's a little disheartening when you have a treatment that's, you know, 40 aligners and you have a refinement that's 40 aligners. So, um, you know, it's, it's nice when you can keep them, uh, manageable. And again, you got to look closely cause oop, there's not, there's not a lot happening in the refinement. You'll notice this guy over rotates a little bit. So there, there were actually over correction, the Brown stages that you see uh, at the end of uh, the act, the active, Final pan, final Ceph, here we have initial, end of initial, end of refinement. She got a little gingivoplasty and phrenectomy. There she is healed up. And I've got some occluded photos I can show you in just a second. Oops. all in all I like the new version of PowerPoint but it it updated all of my media files and did something a little weird I don't remember this being that shaky so here she is uh, after her initial 23 liners then after uh, the 10 upper and 13 uh, lower stages treatment time on her was 18 months you know I would tend to offer any patient that's going to be over a year of treatment, Excilent nowadays. Um, not all of them will take you up on it, but um, little laser phrenectomy and gingivoplasty, and there she is, final photos. So we've got initial, end of initial, final, some close-ups. She was on Accutane, which is why her lips look like that. That was end of uh, initial, end of refinement. Uh, moving on to a, another patient. So even, even deeper bite than, uh, than the first one. So this is Catherine. She's 14 and a half, and I think you can probably guess that she's probably biting into the roof of her mouth with you know, that much curve of speed in the lower. Um, she's a significant class 2, div 2. You know, I take um, peekaboo shots, not mirrors. If you look at her check at a right angle, I mean, she's full class 2. You know, when I, got, when I got certified to do Invisalign in 2000, this was not the patient that I envisioned that I would be using Invisalign for. Uh, so it's, you know, it has continued to uh, develop. Now, one mistake I made in her ClinCheck setup is I did not appreciate, or I wasn't focused on, the fact that she had some root divergence here. I was more focused on the, this is gonna be a distalization case. And so I kind of missed that. And in rotating that premolar actually made the, um, the, the root divergence worse. And the problem with that is I, I, I knew I was probably gonna be doing a refinement in this case, but you know the refinement is, is usually shorter, so you have less time. If you have 18 months to deal with this, that's easy. I mean, you can diverge or converge those routes very slowly. You could almost make them touch in 18 months, but you're not gonna fix that in six or seven months with a refinement. So when you see her re- revision at pano, you're gonna be like, oh, I see, you would have lost some ABO points for that. Okay, so um, I got a lot of questions about this ClinCheck this morning and, and at the end of the session, so I'm going to uh, explain it a little bit better. So what you're going to see here is this is prior to precision cuts, so they didn't exist, so I created some faux attachments for class two elastics. Now, if you do a distalization case, if you don't want it to be 80 or 90 aligners, you have a couple of choices for a full cusp class 2 You're going to end up with, a, you know, or at least the other side is, you're going to end up with a lot of aligners. So what I'm going to do in her case is I'm going to do simultaneous distalization that's going to be backed up with class 2 elastics, and I'm going to just distalize until I get the uh, anterior crowding unraveled, and then you're going to see a bite jump to class 1 to simulate the rest of the class 2 effect, and that's purely so I, I can use a manageable number of aligners in this patient. Because if I'd done it all with distalization, it would, have, you know, it would have been 60, 70. So you notice she's distalizing simultaneously, incisor are changing, and then you're going to see a jump, and she was more class 2 on the left than the right, so I probably should have Showed the left side. Um, just a little close up of what's happening in the lower arch. You know, basically, in in a, you know, this is built into uh, the G5 innovation, so you can ask for, you know, uh, premolar extrusion and incisor intrusion. Um, but you know, back back then, when this patient was treated, we had to pretty much, you know, ask the technicians to do reverse curve NITI with Invisalign. So you'll notice the premolars are extruding. Probably should have had an attachment on the four. Here are the occlusal views. Today, I would overtreat this rotation, and it's so easy in that it's so easy to do that in ClinCheck Pro. You know, three to five degrees of overtreatment—that's part of their regular aligners. I mean, if you think about it, that's exactly what we do with braces. Because if I was bonding that patient, I would probably either cheat the bracket mesial, or if I'm in a finishing bend, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to do it exactly the amount you think it needs? No, you, you go a quarter millimeter or a half a millimeter pass. So this is exactly analogous to you know the over-treatments that we build in to our braces patients every day. And it'll save you some refinements if you, if you do that. So here she is at the end of her uh, initial round. Again, it was just shy of, she was uh, 17 months uh, of treatment. Uh, we've got the, the right side, which was less severe, pretty much class one. So we're gonna be doing a refinement to pick up that rotation. Um, level and size of edges a little bit more, and and I, I need to run a class two elastic on the left. And here's where I messed up. So I'll get it better by the end, but I really should have paid attention to that. So she's opened up quite a bit, and so the align- the revision came back. It had what I considered excessive number of liners, uh, so I increased them and then told her, we re- and then went to one week wear. So we've got about seven months, just shy of eight months of refinement. And again, she's going to wear an elastic on the left only. And you'll see it as a bike jump at the end of the ClinCheck. Closal views. So here she is, finished up. Uh, the, one thing I, the one thing I didn't like, I wanted to e these, and I started to do it, and she was very air sensitive and asked me to please not do that. So we've gotten, gotten her opened up, you know, quite a bit. Oops, I went the wrong way. 27 months of active treatment, and that, you know that's a lengthy Invisalign treatment. I would offer a patient like this Accelident today, uh, and, you know, I, but I don't know that I would have done this much faster with braces, because I would have put her upper brackets on first, and it probably taken me four to three to six months, maybe, to get the you know the the uh, enough overjet where I could get the lower brackets on, and then I still have two years of leveling and aligning to do in the lower. So it would have probably taken me you know that long. I uh, certainly braces I would have told her twenty-four to thirty months as a treatment time, and probably used a Herbst. So a little a little bit better on the again if you've got you know seven months to do that, it's not as easy as if you've got eighteen. final Ceph. and here's some close-ups you know now that I look at it that probably should have been over treated too. if that that's probably one or two degrees off so that but you know when people tell me when I hear other orthodontists in my town or elsewhere you know telling people that you can't do you know arch development with Invison. I just it just makes me want to laugh because I, mean, I think you can you know these arches are as developed as I would want them for uh, you know if I treated her with braces I don't think there's anything magic about any particular bracket or or wire uh, you know you can develop nice arch forms with braces and you can develop nice arch forms with Invison. and I don't think one has an advantage over the other I don't think there are any magic brackets out there that can do this better um, So the question was, did I use precision cuts for the class of elastics? In the first round, I didn't because they didn't exist, and I don't remember in the refinement if, uh, because I generated those, uh, those um, ClinChex from 3.1 and not Pro, it's not gonna show you the precision cuts, and I don't remember. I think maybe in the interim, the precision cuts had been in, uh, introduced, so I, I would have used it. You know, my, my preference is a elastic hook precision cut anywhere I can. Um, just I bond buttons only if I think they're going to help me derotate a tooth or extrude a tooth. Okay, so let's move on to Robert, who sort of amazed me that someone would you know, this didn't happen from age 54 to 55. So I mean, this was a gradual lifelong process, and he let this get to here uh, before addressing it. And he went first to the prosthodontist. Uh, or his dentist referred him to the prosthodontist, uh, uh, who's a uh, former uh, or, yeah, somebody I, I work with some, and. Basically, the prosthodontist said, "Well, I can't restore you like this." I mean, there's even—I mean, I think they even tried looking at the idea of opening the bite up, you know, increasing the, the vertical. Fortunately, they didn't try that because um, I've seen some really ridiculous uh, cases that look like that. Some of them from an institute that's near here. We'll say no more. So here's the uh, pan; it's missing the lower right second molar and Seth, and he's pretty much just, I mean, slam on edge to edge. Um, So we we did um, plan for some class three elastic wear. Um, We're gonna use bite ramps on both the incisors and the canines in this patient because as soon as I start intruding upper and lower incisors, the uh, incisor bite ramps are gonna be out of contact. So we're gonna need those canine bite ramps. He had 32 aligners. Uh, The treatment time was just shy of 15 months. He had seven visits for those of you that care about those types of things. Um, he was a fair class 2 of class 3 elastic wearer. We wore him for about eight, 8 of those 14 months and we got enough. This is what I, uh, ooh, I should actually show you the check first. Actually, I love to show this ClinCheck because I, I hear people gasp when I show it. Much like the air that was leaking out of his mouth um, through this large anterior open bite that we're going to create. Yep, it keeps going. (laughs) So I had, you know, a couple things I will tell you is you're not going to get all of this. Uh, I probably should have intruded this one so the gingival margins were even. Um, So if you're not going to get all of it, you probably should. This is one area where you maybe want to think about some over-treatment. But I figured I was going to be doing a refinement for this guy. I figured we'll get what we can. I'm going to send you and get some temps permanently cemented, then we'll do a refinement, and we'll you know do whatever else the prosthodontist needs to get you ready. So clinic, or, uh, with the ClinCheck, predicted a 7-millimeter anterior open bite. I got 5 clinically, so I didn't get all of it, but I did get him to here. And then I sent him to the prosthodontist expecting him. And I thought he was maybe going to have to do posts on all the lower incisors, but he ended up just prepping him and didn't, didn't tell me so the guy went a couple months without retainers uh, in temps and permanent crowns. So he did lose a little bit of it. Um, I'll show you the, the rest- restorative photos. So this is what ClinCheck predicted. That's what we actually got. So there is, you know, you're not going to get all of it. And, uh, and you can see that we've got a bite ramp that's occluding with the lower premolar there because he's a little class three. So here he is with the aligner in and there he is with the aligner out finals. And then here he is after his restorations. And we, we lost a little bit of the intrusion, and like this tooth started to, to drift back a little bit. And so you know, most of the restorative people I work with, if they're going to do, you know, extensive restorations like that, they'll either make the patient a retainer themselves, or they'll send them back to me that day or within a day or two, which is what I would prefer, because uh, I, I would usually keep them in a retainer that actually has a bite ramp in it, you, know, while they're waiting for the final restorations to come back, just so they don't get any transient posterior intrusion, which is then gonna make the, tr- the crown try-in you know, not work, uh, or they're gonna be adjusting the hell out of the ling- lingual uh, surfaces of the upper crowns and wondering what happened. So here's his close-up, and he's gonna stage this treatment over multiple uh, flex plan years, so he can basically not spend $50,000 in one, one week. So you can see we've got some positive overjet now, and again that that does that that drives me nuts when that happens because we had them up there higher and. Okay, another mutilated dentition case. So here is Jim who's seventy three, and he has worn all of the facial enamel off of his lower incisors so if you if this guy had walked in my door 16 years ago you know fresh out of uh, ortho residency I'm not sure what I would have offered him because uh, I you know how do you put braces on lower incisors that don't have any enamel that have that much you know overbite and shear force from the uppers you can't really bond you know bite or bite turbos to metal and expect those to stay on they probably won't even stay to the porcelain and um, you know, he's got so many posterior restorations. It's not really something I like to put band lock on because I'm worried they're going to fracture a posterior tooth if you prop them open posteriorly. So this to me is virtually impossible to treat with braces. I mean, I don't even think Well, even, I mean, I wouldn't try it with lingual, uh, but he's got a cast lingual splint. That's sort of holding plaque and, and tartar in, uh, and I'm not sure why th- that was done because the teeth weren't that mobile. So our plan for him, you can see the cast, lower splint. He's got an implant. I love Invisalign with in- implant patients or patients that have a lot of crown and bridge work because I can isolate that tooth in the, in the setup. Have you ever tried to isolate a tooth when you have a full arch of braces on and, not, and try not to move the, the teeth adjacent to the implant crown? Um, you know, the shape of a crown is never anatomically correct, so you get some interesting torque uh, developed when you, when you are you know, bonding to a lot of crowns. So again... It's a little hard to see where the lower incisors are, but they're way, they're up here. So, here's the clincheck. I'm not going to put any attachments on. I normally put attachments on just about every lateral incisor, but because he's got porcelain crowns that have been there for a long, long time that were probably cemented with zinc phosphate that is probably none of it left. Um, where I don't want to pull one of his crowns off. Another trick I'll use on patients with long clinical crowns like that is I'll bring the uh, gingival margin down so that the aligners are shorter Um, and that's a great trick to use on you know those nice 60 and 70 year old ladies that have really long uh, clinical crowns in the posterior bring your gingival margin down to right here and they have a great place to put their fingernail to just grab the aligner and unseat it and you get rid of some of that really bad undercut that might be worth coming to Vegas for right there and you can see the bite ramps right here views doing on time 15 I'm sorry question the question is can you move the aligner margin no you can move the gingival margin and that tells the software at the factory where to trim the aligner So you can ask your treat technician to, on somebody who has really long clinical crowns or recession, ask them to move the gingival margin, two, three, four millimeters, whatever you want, uh, and that will reduce your retention. So if you've got some crowns with big undercuts or a bridge, I always bring the gingival margin up to the height of contour on the ponic, so I'm not really pulling uh, when they take the aligner in and out. So here he is. I'm sorry I don't have a great center open fo- or center occluded photo. It was dark, but I think you can see from the, the buckle shots that we, we did we got the bite open. We've got some restorative clearance for him. Uh, this was you know just shy of twelve of twelve months of treatment, so it's not that's not accelerant, that's just regular two week aligner wear. And here he is with his final restorations in place. And we've got a bonded retainer and final CEPH. Okay, so um, that, that that's all the clinical photos I'm going to show you. I've got some ClinCheck pearls for intrusion. And I've got one little some a little bit of bonus material because we're we're good on time. We, we'll have plenty of time for questions. I rushed this morning because I was I had 100. This was 110 slides. I've been through 101 of them already. In not that long (laughs) okay so thinking about this new G5 innovation um, if you know be sure you have enough retention to support the amount of intrusion that you've requested you know the software doesn't really understand that some teeth are longer or shorter in the clinical crown than others there's no there's nothing built into there to do a calculation of this is the tooth mass versus you know this is my incisors and the length of the roots of the incisors. So we've got to still got to use our, our brains a little bit with this Remember you can always choose not to bond an attachment, but you can't add one to the ClinCheck once once it's been approved uh, So I, I always build and when I'm working with the residents in, at Chapel Hill We always talk about you know, we need to build everything into this ClinCheck We possibly think we might need let's be Boy Scouts. Let's be prepared um, And if we don't bond the attachment, that's fine. You know, I have lots of. You, if you looked at a lot of my setups, we'll have attachments for you know lots of different scenarios. But my goal is to use the least number of attachments possible. If I can treat the case start to finish with no attachments, I do that sometimes. I mean, if, if the teeth are uh, the aligners are very retentive. I mean, with a scanned aligner and SmartTrack, I mean you get some good fit sometimes. If the patient has crowding, that's retention. And so sometimes you know, we may add an attachment uh, midway or, or partway through treatment as the teeth get straighter and the aligners start getting a little looser, we may add an attachment for retention. So I'm saying build those in if you need them. And for attrition and supereruption, uh, or as if attrition and supereruption occurs with incisors, you know, we know that the width of the teeth is gonna narrow. I mean, they're trapezoidal shaped teeth. So don't forget to open spaces between the incisors to allow for the restorative dentist to create the appropriate proportions for the teeth. Um, you can create restorative clearance by using upper or lower canine and incisor intrusion and or premolar extrusion, and that's up to you to determine what is appropriate for that patient from your diagnosis and, uh, and treatment plan. That's not up to the, the treat technician in Costa Rica. If you leave it up to them, they're going to do what's most expedient, which is intrude upper and lower incisors you know, as, until you, they get to the goal that you set for them. And That may not be appropriate uh, for every patient. The G5 uh, precision bite ramps, the pressure areas, and the optimized premolar attachments can all assist with these movements. How you decide to open the bite is is up to you. It's part of the diagnosis. You cannot let someone who's not an orthodontist do that. Um, For example, don't intrude upper incisors on a patient with inadequate upper incisor display on rest and on smile. I mean, I see that every time I go teach at UNC. I'll look at a Residence ClinCheck and they're, you know, it's a deep bite patient and they're intruding the upper incisors four millimeters. And I go, well, where are the photos? And we look at the photos and this patient yeah, has very little upper incisor display, but that's what, you know, the treat technician sent back. And I'm like, well, that, they're not in charge of that. We are in charge of that. Um, and if it makes it a little harder for us to, to you know, open the bite, um, but we preserve the smile arc and preserve their youthful smile, then that's worth it. It's worth the extra work. On cases where the incisors are not gonna contact the bite ramps or you will lose contact early in the treatment, that's a great place to use bite ramps for canines instead. So my uh, take home message is transient posterior intrusion is a real phenomenon. It's unique to clear liner therapy. It's not, comp- it's not accounted for anywhere in the treat software. So it's just something we have to realize is a real world phenomenon. Just like a, a liner that's really tight and you can't take it out because there's an undercut that the software doesn't recognize but that's our job is to you know to clinically execute these things in the most expedient way possible you can prevent posterior open bite from even developing if you use uh, precision bite ramps or virtual bite ramps I, every meeting i've ever been to someone comes up to me in the hallway and asks me for solutions to fix posterior open bites and my answer is don't develop the posterior open bite in the first place if there's no bite pressure on the posterior teeth they're not going to intrude um, now there are other reasons you can get a posterior open bite, under-torqued incisors, you know, you did too much IPR in the upper, I mean and you, you know you've got an edge-to-edge bite. So those, you know, those things we still have to deal with, but I mean causing posterior open bites just because you know we had a virtual or precision bite ramp that we could have checked the box and we didn't. So I would, you know, I would suggest to you on all normal overbite and deep bite patients that a, a bite ramp can help you in, in eliminating that transient posterior intrusion. That really it causes a lot of you know problems that, that are, are not um, that people don't always realize that this is a vertical problem that you know caused intrusion that then developed in, or became an AP problem. The dynamic nature of the precision bite ramps uh, makes them makes it you know, e- easier to use them in larger overjet patients. Okay, before we go to questions, I have a few little. have some bonus material if I finished early Um, and so um, this is just like my little extra you know it's like getting that extra bagel in the Baker's dozen or um, my little tip so um, adding virtual bite ramps during treatments just a few slides so if you've got a patient that's got a posterior open bite that you think has been caused by transient posterior intrusion and you go home and they still have 15 aligners left you can buy one of the uh, bite plane pliers from uh, Essex that Keith Hilliard invented and you can take them home, and you can show one of your assistants how to do this. Um, you know, basically, you heat the plier up, you, you squeeze it into the aligner, create a. You uh, know, again, if you're worried about where to put it, mark mark the first aligner with articulating paper, and then hand the rest of them to your assistant and say, do the rest of them just like this. Um, and you can, you there's a, a set screw on here that allows you to adjust the depth of the bite ramp, so you can make them. You know, as if, I, I would say to you, if you try to make them too big, you're going to puncture through the plastic. And if you thin the plastic out very much, they're not going to be very stiff. The, the ones that are manufactured by Align are really good. I mean, I haven't had any patients crush them yet, but you, um, you use to heat the plier up, squeeze it, and then you can reinforce it with composite or blockout material if you're worried about the thin plastic then being crushed. So you don't have to do a refinement on these people. Um, you, know, you can get through these last aligners. How would you add a virtual bite ramp uh, to a retainer or in-house aligner? Um, I do it by using the orthoarch mini mold, uh, or sorry, orthoarch anterior bite ramp mini mold. It's a little silicon mold, and I've got photos of this, so you, you don't have to jot all this down. Uh, you fill it with composite or blockout material, and then cure it. Place that on the model at the desired height, tack it in place with blockout resin or composite, and cure it. And then you vacuum form your retainer or in-house aligner. You can either leave the the blockout in there or take take it out. So here's the little silicon molds, and they come in a bunch of different shapes. We use them for habit cones in, um, in uh, thumb habits and tongue posture problems. I don't believe that tongue thrusting is a problem because your tongue doesn't touch your teeth enough times when you swallow. But if you posture your tongue between your teeth, that's a big problem. Um, but there's sometimes a little um, semantics with that. So we, um, you get a nice little bite ramp, and then you place it on the model vacuum form your in-house aligner or retainer, and then we deliver it to the mouth, patient occludes on it, um, and it discludes them posteriorly. I use these trial aligners with bite ramps for any um, symptomatic TMD patient that comes in the office because most of them that are clenchers, they're gonna feel better when you give them an aligner with bite ramps because it discludes their posterior teeth, but there's one out of 100, one out of 1,000, you give them a bite ramp and their symptoms get worse, and if you've wasted 45 minutes of your life developing a ClinCheck and charge this patient, you know, whatever for aligners they can't wear or that make them hurt, it's not a good day for anyone. So I give them a trial aligner, bring them back in a couple of weeks, and say, well, how'd you do? And if they say, my jaw feels so much better, I'm like, great, let's scan you. If they go, that hurt worse than anything I've ever had in my life, I'm like, well, I'll see you later. (laughs) Okay, that's the end, and I will be glad to take questions.